I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hunting Seasons, a podcast about two friends catching up on notable television shows one season at a time. I'm Broderick Gordis. And I'm Liam Gordis. And today we'll be discussing the latest show in our rewatch category, season one of Please Like Me. Hello, Liam. Hey, Brod. I wouldn't say we're friends. <laughs> well, no, you're right. But default, we're brothers first, <laughs> I guess. Hello. I hope you think of me as a friend. I guess. <laughs> uh, probably the thing we should address first and foremost is the fact that... Um, you're here, and that Damask isn't our normal co-host. Wait, I'm not Damask. Uh, no, yeah, you're right. Damask did ask me to uh, address you as Damask and get you to put on a voice and pretend to be her. Um, do you want right. to give that a crack yeah, let's now? Let's give this a go. All right. Address me. Uh, and I'm Broderick Gordis. And I'm D- Damask. No, no it's terrible. Happen. Terrible, okay. terrible idea. Sorry, Damask. I tried. I really did. I didn't. <laughs> um, Damask is on holiday. She's currently in Tokyo, I believe. Last time I checked. Shinjuku. She, well, she, yeah, staying in Shinjuku, having a great time. I'm following. If you want to follow her on her Instagram account, um, she's got plenty of good photos going up there. Uh, so she's having an awesome time. So Liam's going to fill in for a few weeks, and we're going to talk about a show that we both really like, um, and that being Please Like Me, obviously. So let's get into it. Spoiler warning, on this episode, we will be discussing everything that happens in season one of Please Like Me. If you've not yet watched Please Like Me, pause the podcast, go watch it, then come back and join us. Otherwise, proceed with caution. Spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Uh, Quick breakdown about Please Like Me. Please Like Me is an original Australian comedy drama created by and starring Josh Thomas as Josh, a 20-year-old whose girlfriend Claire breaks up with him because he's probably gay. Meanwhile, Josh decides to move out of the house he shares with his best friend Tom to look after his mentally ill mother Rose. At the same time, he starts dating the very handsome Jeffrey. The show premiered on the ABC, that's the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, on February 28th, 2013 and stars Josh Thomas, Thomas Ward, Caitlin Stacey and the excellent Deborah Lawrence. Please Like Me has four seasons and a total of 32 episodes. Season one consists of six episodes, each coming in at around 28 minutes and took us approximately two hours and 45 minutes to watch. Not a hard task, that one. Um, no, to, I've watched it twice in the last week. Uh, twice in the last week? <coughs> yeah, wow. just in, I'm, I really want to prepare. Oh, well done. I'm, uh, that's <laughs> well done you. Well, I have other things to do. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, we're going to keep this one kind of short, keep it brief, because it's only a six-episode series. Mm-hmm. But let's just start by talking about why we wanted to discuss this show in particular. Um, Liam, do you have any particular thoughts on Please Like Me straight away? Uh, jump, throwing you in the deep end here. Uh, yeah, no, I understand. Um, please Like Me at least for me, is it's one of those shows that makes me think, yes, right? This is 
television. This is good Australian television. This is something yep. that's important, I think, this show, uh, at least to, to to Australians and Australian the Australian uh, film and television industry, right? This is a show that that was sort of a miracle to be made and being able to get as many seasons as it did. Um, and, yeah, no, I think it's really important that we talk about this because it's it's such a big big part of that, I think. What, what, makes, what makes it a miracle that was made to you? I think the fact that as an Australian, I see that a lot of Australian television is very much reality TV, mm. cheaply made stuff. Burdened right? with reality TV at right. the moment. Exactly, right? And all marriage-related things, either your relationship's breaking up, we're going to put you on a married to someone you've never met before, and oh, fucking hell, just give me a break. Exactly, right. Um, exactly right. And and that's when it's like a fresh of breath air when something can actually get made. A fresh of breath air. Yeah, fresh <laughs> of breath air. It's a breath of fresh air when something can actually get made that has some real interesting, like hard-hitting topics. Mm-hmm. Funny, obviously. Comedy is such a big part, I think, of Australian culture. Um, and and Australian sense of humour is... is, humor. is Often quite different to an American sense of humor. It's more in line with maybe a Canadian or British sense of humor. Absolutely. But even still, it's got its own. Like you look at the most popular comedies that are coming out of Australia, like Kath and Kim and stuff like that. They tried to replicate those overseas and couldn't figure out how to make it work. Absolutely. Mm, go on. And yeah, so that's what I'm saying. It's like it's great to see something like this that actually has some real gravitas to it mm-hmm. that can actually be made in Australia and get four seasons and be as consistently good as I think it is. Um, One of the things I'll probably add on to that as well is that I I haven't watched all of Australian television, obviously. And I think sometimes one of the things that... The the scripted dramas that do get made in Australia very often feel to me like they're melodramas or really over-the-top soapy dramas. They're going... There's this especially primetime stuff. And the thing about this being on the Australian ABC is that they tend to be a little more experimental, which is great. Absolutely. They they open the doors to things that are a little less, a little off kilter, which is cool. Um, but the, the stuff that gets the most attention, the stuff that's on prime time and like commercial television, all seem to be these really lofty family dramas or, I don't know, they're... <sighs> They might have a sense of humor, but they tend to go for this huge emotional thing all the time. And I find that that or it ends up being a procedural cop drama all the time. There's like there's very it seems to be we keep recreating the same family shows with different cast of characters, um, family dramas or um, yeah, or procedural dramas. And it's great to just see something that feels different and fresh. Absolutely. And, And really completely feels different to those while still feeling uniquely or genuinely Australian as well. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I guess my the point is for me why I want to talk about this show is because it sets itself apart from other Australian television shows in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, because of those reasons I said they tend to be in these specific categories and that this show, yeah, as you said, is talking about hard-hitting stuff but is still funny at the same time. So, yeah, it's got a really unique voice. It's a show that I, it, people who have watched it, and I know a lot of people who didn't watch it at the time that it was on, have got to it late and loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, but people, when they do find it, tend to really like it, which is great. And I, I, part of me wants to, not that I think I'm going to go a long way to helping boost, yeah, absolutely. you know, Josh Thomas's profile or anything like that, but I just wanted it to be talked about more. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is as well, although it's an Australian TV show, and that's something we, that was another reason I want to talk about this is because as Australians, Damask, myself and Liam and pretty much anybody else, Lauren, of course, as well, anyone who's going to be involved in this show, is more than likely until we get international guests, who knows when that might be, if ever, 
we're Australian, so Australian television is important to us. Um, we also are trying to make content of our own. So Liam and I have been working on a television series for a while that we're trying to get off the ground, which is probably going to end up being a web series. We have another web series which you can find online at the moment that we both worked on called Try My Best. Mm-hmm. Um, look for that under Birthday Loyalty Club on uh, YouTube. Um, so we're, as content creators in this country, we really want to highlight stuff that we like um, and stuff that inspires us as well. And one of the things I think I wanted to talk to you about in particular is we both watched, we were living together at the time, yep. and we watched the pilot episode the same on when it premiered on the same night together. Yeah, absolutely. And both were just like, oh, oh wow, yeah, this, is this is cool. Is, this is I was it. hoping this show was going to be good, but mm. this is like, this is something really, really great. Um, something special. And, and the thing about uh, Please Like Me as well is like, unlike other Australian TV shows, you can actually find it, um, get to it overseas. So after season one, um, Please Like Me got picked up by Pivot, mm-hmm. which Pivot. is a US... It was a US. Yeah, it's gone now, unfortunately. And that's why also why it's finished. That's why Please Like Me Part of the reasons it. it's finished, from what I understand, Josh, from a little bit of inside knowledge, I don't believe Josh Thomas really intended it to go much longer than season four anyway. I think he was ready to move on to other projects, Absolutely. Um, which is fair. I think that's... We've talked about in the past. There's a lot of integrity, I think, in knowing when a show is done um, and when you're running out of stories to tell and ending it there. Um, we will talk about that when we get to season four, but yeah, this is something you, you should be able to find, um, if you're not an Australian resident as well. If you are Australian, it's on Netflix currently. Um, and I think sometimes goes, um, on ABC iView, although I don't know if that'll no, come back or not. Moment, no. Yeah, but it's definitely on Netflix at the moment. You can buy all the DVDs, go to JB Hi-Fi. That's where I got them from. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think, uh, you should be able to find it somewhere online or you'll be able to find it in the US somewhere. So that's cool. All right. Let's get into some just general thoughts. Now, we obviously both love the show. What do you think about season one in general as a, as a first season of this show? I think it does a good job of setting up uh, the dynamics that the show will later continue with mm-hmm. um, and what it, what it will build from. Um, the family dynamics, especially, and then also the friendships within the, within the show. I think it, it tackles... Um, coming out as gay in a different way than I've seen to other things. Um, like, so other shows very much make a big deal about how it's it's the most romantic thing that can happen in someone's life. Sure. Right? And instead of doing that, I feel it, it shows that it's more of a normal thing now. And uh, Josh coming out wasn't really this hard, you know, big explosion of, a, of an event as it is a just something that everyone needs to adjust to. Does that make sense? Sure. And, and probably him more than anything else. Absolutely. One of the things I like about the show is that everyone sort of, sort of goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, we knew. Like, yeah. And like Tom, his best friend, wants to like, oh, do we need to talk about this? And she's like, no, no not really. Because he doesn't, he knows that's not a conversation. It's going to affect either of them. I've been Googling. So have I. We're all Googling. Exactly. And then even his parents, I think his dad's probably the one who has the the biggest reaction. And that's only because he's very commas. drunk. Well, mainly because he's very drunk. Yeah. But it's really not, it's one of those things that Josh has more anxiety about than anybody else. Exactly. Um, and yeah, that's definitely interesting. Yeah, mm. go on. In general, it, I think it does a really good job of making me, it feels very Australian. Yeah. To me, like um, our our generation, mm. Australian. Um, I think about his him and his friends and the stuff they get up to and even just the conversations that they have as scripted and over the top as sometimes they can be. Yep. 
Um, it does does definitely resonate with me in terms of stuff that I, I have conversations that I've had or have. Yep. Um, and it feels very much our generation, like a, a show for our generation. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we'll talk a little bit, little bit more about that as we go along. Um, I think for me, I really like season one a lot. As I said, the pilot grabbed me really quickly. I was just like, oh man, this is something special really quick. And that's the episode where Josh first basically has his first gay encounter with Jeffrey. It's one of the most honest, honest sex scenes in I've ever seen on well, television. It's not even sex. I don't even get that far as sex. It's just it's just an honest like make out scene. But the what I love about that is that even though I'm not gay, that scene felt familiar. Yeah. Which absolutely. is great. Like the he and he Jeffrey is sort of like confident. he's a lot more for, forward and confident about what's going on. And Josh wants to go with him to bed, but is a bit more hesitant about it because he's unsure and he doesn't really know how he is sexually yet. And then take when they go to his room and Jeffrey just strips straight off and gets into bed and is just waiting and then Josh like goes and gets changed to his pyjamas behind the door mm-hmm. is such a great joke and a great image because I've been that person. Yeah. I've been that person who like is nervously like, oh, I just need to get in my PJs. I've only been in my jocks for a second, but I don't really want people to be looking because it doesn't seem right. So you like I've been that per- and then get even once they're in bed, the the turning it from innocence into something more where Jeffrey starts to play with him a little bit. But then my favorite bit is Josh's movement. His arm. Which is a really broad movement. It's like meant to be like, I want to touch you, but I don't want to make it look like that I'm trying to literally mask it as a and as a like a yawn type yeah, thing. Yeah. So he just does stretch. this big like just lets his arm and then rest on it. Jeffrey figures it out. He's like, yeah. I'm but that's it. Cool. But that but we've that's all been there. Yeah. We've all been that moment where we go, oh, we're both on board for this. Yeah, absolutely. And I it's just so well done and communicated and mm-hmm. so real. Yeah. I love that scene. And that's a good example of what I think the show does so well overall. And what is great about season one. That being said, it's not perfect. I think you can feel it still. It's funny. Now, having watched all four seasons, watching, I don't want to talk too much about what comes before it, but watching episode one, it doesn't have, as confident as I thought it felt the first time, it gets further into that as it goes along. It's missing a little bit of that confidence in season one. The performances aren't always perfect, particularly from the younger actors, particularly from Tom and Josh, I find, because I think they're probably the least experienced actors. Least experienced, Because they're both comedians, first and foremost, aren't they? Well, Josh definitely. Josh definitely. Tom. Tom, I think Tom was just Josh's friend. Right. That they, because they wrote the show together. Oh, really? Yeah. So Josh and Tom wrote the show together, or at least some of the episodes. Sure, yeah. It's Josh's show. It's definitely Josh's show. It's co written. Yeah. And so the acting is still getting there in a few parts, and they're still figuring some things out, and some storylines are more engaging than others at different times. And we'll talk about the storylines in a second here as well. Um, But boy, for a first season, that's really. At least in Australia, at least from my experience, is treading a lot of new water and trying some pretty interesting new things. It's very, very cool and effective. Absolutely. Agreed. All right. Let's get into some more specific discussion points. I want to talk about... I didn't do... Normally, Damask does a big, great sort of uh, overview of... Yeah, I think I think you could. I think there's enough going on. There's enough arcs and story threads you could talk through the season as a whole. I don't have the t- talent that Damascus has. The couple of times I've tried to do it have not been successful. So I'm not even going to bother. We'll talk instead just in general terms, go through these as a, as a dot point list and just talk about the storylines for a second. Oh, fantastic. The first one being Josh and Jeffrey. 
Yes. Or Josh's, Josh's love life in general, but specifically with Jeffrey, um, where he starts, the first episode starts with uh, uh, Caitlin Stacey's character, uh, Claire, breaking up with Josh. We don't know exactly how long they've been together for, but it's been a little while. A while at least, yeah. And they're good friends, but she recognises that he's probably gay. And Josh doesn't seem to be putting up a whole very confident uh, rebuttal to that argument. She's like, oh, we'll still be friends and it wouldn't be much different. <laughs> exactly. Than what we do now, yeah. Um, which then he goes to talk to Tom, his friend at work, and in doing so meets his co-worker, Jeffrey. Jeffrey. And from there, we already talked about this sort of first interaction, uh, sort of more sexual interaction at Josh's place, builds from there. And really their storyline is a lot about, A, Josh coming to grips with being gay, um, exploring the, his sexuality, but also and, and having something very, very attractive who's into him, Absolutely. which Josh doesn't particularly find himself very attractive. And then realizing along the way that even though he feels more comfortable as a gay person, he doesn't really like Jeffrey that much. Yeah. He's very selfish. He's that Josh is very selfish. Josh, Josh, yeah, is is quite a selfish person. Talk to me about that. Um, I think something, yeah, that, that shows throughout the show, yeah, develops throughout the show is you sort of see he's a bit of an arsehole. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, the way he treats everybody around him. Including his best friend, mm-hmm. they sort of give it back and back toward. Uh, sorry, um, back and forth. Back and forth. The way he treats his dad, the way he treats, uh, like Neve, um, the way he treats, and the way he treats Jeffrey in a different sense. Sure, he's very much a selfish. Uh, what I'm trying, he's an asshole. Like, sure, like it's that's probably the best way of putting it. Um, yeah, that. So yeah, it's 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 interesting to see that development. I think he's he's he goes from being at the very start very not confident mm. about things, and then by the end of it, he sure he's still not confident, but he's very much. You sort of sort of reveals his assholeness. <laughs> that makes sense. Sure. Oh, the asshole thing is interesting. Does that make him less likable to you? Do you still find Josh likable enough as a character? I honestly, with this show, yeah. As much as I love Josh Thomas and his comedy, yeah, he Josh is the person I I struggle the hardest to. What's the word? Um, connect with or to like yeah to, to, to con- like to connect with yeah and sure. i guess the show is called please like me right mm. um and the person i like least in the show is josh mm-hmm. and the person i i the show resonates less with for me is josh and his decisions and it's not just because the gay he's gay and he's in a different relationship sort of sexuality sure to what i mean right it's i don't know it's just something about the decisions he makes and the way he goes about things that just i just don't connect with sure sure that that puts up a wall that keeps you at arm's length exactly sure how do you feel about that from a sense of like i mean josh thomas has written this character he sounds like he's painting less than a flattering picture of himself in a way it's meant to be like an allegory for him does that does that make him any more um any more any more engaging to you knowing that it's like this is deliberate Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Like it's like he's really being honest about his own flaws here. Yeah. No. And I and the show itself, I love. Like we said. Yeah. But the character of Josh, as much as you know, it is him revealing himself. Yeah. Just I just don't like him. The 
It's funny because I have a big problem. I've tried to watch Girls a few times. Uh-huh. I've gotten as far as to the end of season two, I think, and maybe even started season three. And one of the problems I have with that show is that I don't connect or relate to anybody in that show really. Mm-hmm. A couple of the boys, and that's, you know, fair enough. It's a show about girls and I don't have that experience of being a 20-something-year-old living in New York. Girl, yeah. specifically, yeah. right? A, yeah, very niche. I, I really <laughs> don't have that. And as much as there are, Josh and I are very different in a lot of ways in terms of our interest and stuff, I love football and he hates AFL. Mm-hmm. Um, the And obviously sexuality and those sort of things are different. There is enough about Josh and his situation that's familiar. And it's part of it's just the setting. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it that he's a similar age living in Australia and Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is his friends are recognizable to me, even though they're definitely exaggerated versions of what life is like. It is very familiar mm-hmm. to me. And I think for some reason, what I find irritating about, say, Hannah, because I don't relate to her, she's the sort of person I would avoid, like the plague in Girls, Josh is someone I can see myself more likely actually knowing and hanging out with. Okay. He's familiar enough to me that I guess for some reason I connect to him because I know him a little bit. Okay. And I, I, I find the honesty around that. The thing is, the show never tries, and I don't think this happens in Girls either, but the show never pay, I think what they both do well, because I respect girls as a show if I don't, if I don't can't watch it with a lot of enjoyment. Um, I respect that these are not made to be heroes. Josh yeah. is not the hero of this story by any means. Absolutely. It's just a story about, in a lot of ways, the whole show is about, well, especially for the younger people, becoming in it, what it means to be an adult. Like, Absolutely. stop, he's reached 20, he's about to turn 21, and he's really got to step up and be an adult now and mm-hmm. what that means. And that's um, that's relatable, but I think that's that's an overarching story relatable. Sure. Whereas the actual character of Josh, that's who I struggle with. Cool. Okay, that's really interesting. The I think I agree with you for the most part. Like I think Josh is really, really off-putting at times mm-hmm. the way he treats things. That being said, I find his like yes, he treats a lot of people like assholes. Like you said, a lot of it's a back and forth though, mm-hmm. and it's so familiar. Like. The way he talks to his mom or to his dad, I'm guilty of talking to mum and dad like that. Yeah, see, I'm not. No, I'm joking. <laughs> so I think you are. Yeah, I, think, I, think, I think a lot of people are. I'm the golden child. And the the way he talks to his friends, yeah. I think that's a back and forth for the most part, so that makes sense. The way he treats Jeffrey, yeah, it's there's a lot of regrets there and a lot of things that he probably could have done differently, but I think I've been there too where you feel vulnerable or alone and you reconnect with somebody who made you feel better about yourself and you keep them around until you just realize you don't actually have a lot mm-hmm. going on there and there's not a lot of real affection. All his sins, I think, are understandable, not necessarily forgivable, but very familiar to me. And so, yeah, while he's less likable because of that, I, I do find him maybe a little bit more interesting or engaging as a character. But maybe that's just me. Absolutely fun and interesting. I just do not connect it. <laughs> Fair enough. And hey. the good thing, I think what the show does well is it doesn't sort of glorify that behaviour. That not the, at all. The, yeah, this asshole behaviour from anybody. Like there's consequences for what people say and do. Yeah. The thing is, I don't think the show, what's good about the show as well, it doesn't really take a lot of, it, it never really ever puts a firm stamp on what's good or bad or right or wrong or any of these things. Every single character is flawed one way or another, whether it's Josh for being the sort of selfish and sort of mean person that he can be, whether it's Tom who's sort of 
dumb and lazy and doesn't have a spine, whether it's Neve, who is one of the most intolerable people on the oh freaking planet, which I got to give a lot of credit to that actress and that character. I know those people. Yeah. To me, she's a lot. She is the girls from Girls, which is <laughs> um, and but I do have some sympathy for her as well by the end of the show, even though she does some really horrible things and is really, really irritating. There's a sim- there's a bit about her that makes me go, oh, I feel sorry for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think all the characters are very flawed, but yeah, never is everyone is anyone demonized, I don't think. Yeah. Which is nor are they uh held to such high esteem as to be like icons of like this is what you should be. it's not like there's no leslie nope here there's yeah. no one who can go maybe she has a couple of tiny flaws and that she's over enthusiastic but really she's a beacon of light and hope for everybody absolutely um and that's cool too just trying to think is there anything about the josh and jeff storyline there that goes on realistically it ends in a place where they break up at the end and jeff is just such a nice guy yeah even though i find him incredibly boring and kind of dumb which yeah. I can see why, as Josh said, he looks great with his shirt off, and I like having sex with him. But I, beyond that, I've got I don't have any affection for him. Mm-hmm. Um, they end up breaking up by the end of the season, and Josh is left without a boyfriend, but now more in charge of his sexuality, which is Absolutely. a big place for him. Yeah, uh, Rose's mental illness is a really big one as well, and mm-hmm. for me, is probably where the heart of the show is. Absolutely, the first episode, Josh gets a call. Or has missed a bunch of calls from his dad. Um, his mum and dad had been have been divorced for a while, but he Alan has found out that Rose um, had tried to take her own life, and she's in the hospital. And Josh rushes to see her, and so Josh, uh, so Rose is diagnosed with depression and maybe anxiety as well. I think. I think actually bipolar. Bipolar is the official I think that's diagnosis. I think that we find uh, out later. May, it might be later we find that out, but she certainly has a mental illness. And a serious one. She's trying to take her own life. And there's the ongoing story with Rose trying to come to terms with that, what it means to be mentally ill, what it means to be getting treatment for that, how she's trying to deal with that. Josh has to move back in with her to try and look after her. She's reconnecting with her aunt Peggy, who is this sort of extremely Christian, cranky old lady. Mm-hmm. Um, the And then eventually, unfortunately, she once again at the end of the season after Peggy dies suddenly, tries to take her own life again or at least begins to and then bails out of it. Mm -hmm. And so it sets up this ongoing struggle that Josh is going to have with his mum where she was once, you know, someone that looked after him to now someone that he's going to have to look after. As an adult... I'm your next of kin. Yeah. yeah, It doesn't bode well for either of us, does it? That's true. Yeah, there's a great scene in episode two where... Yeah, they're filling out forms before Rose goes in to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And yeah, he asks who his next of kin is, who Rose's next of kin is, and she's like, it's you. And that realisation that he actually has some responsibility as her son now yeah. to look after her um, is pretty great. And while that, well, the way I'm talking about it reflects on Josh a lot, um, I think it's, it's really interesting to just watch Rose in this season. And spoiler alert, that stuff goes really interesting places in the, in the future seasons as well. Absolutely. But I love, 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 love Rose. And I love Deborah Lawrence in this role. Uh, Australians will recognize Deborah Lawrence as being Pippa. Pippa from Home and Away. From Home and Away, who died tragically in a flood. Uh, that was very sad. It's, uh, it's amazing to me that that mum and dad in this show, that's what they call them. Sure. Right. But Alan and Rose. Yeah. Rose was 
Pippo on, on Home and Away. And all I know Alan from is from Play School. Oh, really? Yeah, he was. I remember him being on Play School when I was a kid. I remember him from The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revelations. Oh, yes. Or, or Revolutions. Yes, he was the other captain of the he other. He was captain of another ship. Another ship. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing that these characters, and I think they do, both do such a good job as being these parents, these Australian parents. Like, I see similarities in what Alan does to what our dad does. Totally. Absolutely. There's so much there that I just like, wow, yeah, that is such a dad thing. Are there do. any specific things? Is it the way he handles things, like a situation or? I think so, yeah. I think he's just like the frustration that he has with the world or. Sure, yeah. Right around him. Yeah. And can maybe catastrophize little moments yeah, sometimes because like, he wants like a sense of justice or exactly. things to be right. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Which, is a, which is a trait we've inherited to yeah, some degree as well. Yeah, 100% we have. Um, yeah, it's, that, that's a very good point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he takes, puts a lot of responsibility and burden on his own shoulders as well. For Absolutely. Things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he, he, yeah it's, it's all his fault apparently in the end, but really a lot of it is not. No, no. <laughs> Majority of it's not his fault. But, but he has this idea of his place in, in the world and uh, yeah. with these people and what that means and that he has a, he ha- like, yeah, such so much of the responsibility or blame should be placed on his shoulders for all this. Yeah, you're right. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and what about, what about mum? What about Rose? Does she remind you of our mum at all? A little bit. I a think. little bit. Freaking, there are so many little <laughs> things that make me go, oh my God, that's mum all the time. And it's not that our mum is suffering from mental illness or anything like that. It's just the way she says things like Josh or like, like just the the way the frustration comes out sometimes. Yeah. Or even the way, yeah, just like there's a scene where she's trying to uh, get like, her dating profile yes, exactly, ready. This is exactly what I'm thinking And even that. just the way she has her glasses, the way she sits in the chair or sits next to them and is like... I recognize this so well. And like I say this is our mum, and that's not very interesting to a listener, but I, I feel like Deborah Lawrence is so good. I think everyone's going to find a little bit of their mum Absolutely. in Rose. Um, it's so perfect. Mm. They're, they're, they're perfect. They're absolutely perfect. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's a testament to this show and I think the writing and the direction and, and, the, performances. and, and the performances. Like th- those characters in particular, I feel are very much perfect yeah. in terms of yeah who they are. Um, Rose's mental illness, the main thing here is that she's still in a dark place mm-hmm. by the end of the season. Uh, meanwhile, we've also got Tom, Neve, and Claire going on. So Tom is Josh's sort of loserish best, best friend. friend. Yeah. <laughs> bit of a bit of a mm, limp nerd type. Um, he has this girlfriend, Neve, who he's been with for a while, but she irritates everybody, including him. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't seem to have the spine to be able to break up with her. But on one night where they have a fight, he connects with Claire, which is Josh's very recent ex, mm-hmm. who they seem to be fine with these things. And I think that's true to life too. You, at, at a certain age, people swap boyfriends and girlfriends and stuff all the time. And it, um, I like that they don't make a big drama out of the fact Absolutely. that- because um, I think that there probably would normally be a little little bit more drama for some reason, but I think at some stage they I like that they're just cool with each other and they can skip that part. Exactly. Um, but which causes Neve to react uh, when she thinks that Tom is going to is that Tom's breaking up with her and she pretends that she's pregnant. Mm. 
which Jesus. which is a pretty extreme thing to do. Um, and really that's a storyline about Tom finally being able to escape Neve and connect with Claire, who is far and away a much better sort of person to be in a relationship with. Does Claire deserve Tom? I don't think so. I have no idea what Claire sees in Tom, to be honest. Do you do you see anything there? I see it as finally someone that might reciprocate some feelings for her, like she's something someone because she has obviously spent a lot of time with Josh and probably Tom as well. And she's she says this a lot that she says this a couple times throughout it that she doesn't really have anything else to do. She doesn't really have any other friends. Yeah, that's the most unrealistic thing to me. Um, <laughs> Caitlin Stacy. Is they talk about it how puberty was very good to her. Very, wow! So th- clearly she was an uggo because <laughs> terrible, terrible. <laughs> but she, what am I doing? she, Caitlin Stacey is gorgeous. I'm just going to put it out there, and um, I think reasonably engaging. I like her performance in the show. Um, I don't know if she'd be my friend or not, but I can't imagine that Tom is the best that Claire can do. If that makes sense. So I find I, I've never given a particularly compelling reason why Claire is so into Tom. I think this is more apparent. I don't really want to talk about this, the, the next season. I want to talk about this season this as season. a season. That's yeah. why I'm bringing up the way it is because it's we can talk about where this goes and that's there's definitely merit to talking about that, but we can't yet. Yeah, okay. But as okay. this season, I don't really know why Claire is into Tom. I know why Tom's into Claire because Claire, if Claire kissed you, you'd be into it too. But yeah, I think it's more necessity. I think it's more of a she's lonely now. Based off what the show gives you, that she apparently has no yeah, friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that's sort of where it is. Um, yep. And that's kind of sad. That is sad. That it's is absolutely Tom, sad. But it sucks for Claire. Absolutely. Absolutely, it sucks for Claire. Although I love the scene between Claire and Neve where They're Claire fighting. finally just like lets loose about. Oh, you know what I love in that scene? There's a bit where uh, Neve brought a salad, right? And they're having this argument and. Claire goes to get the salad and like rips the glad wrap off. And I'm part of me is like, oh, she's gonna tip it over her head. She doesn't. She tips the salad in the bin and just hands her the bowl back. Like, you can go now, basically. Um, and then the bit where she's like, oh, you come in yet, yeah, yeah, Tom, you come in. And, and Tom's like, oh, I don't know. And Claire's just like, Tom, obviously you're picking me. And she's like, he's like, he's like, you're quite yeah, right. Yeah, quite right. She's yeah, she's quite right. She's quite right. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that scene. Yeah, that's great. That's well put. Um, so that's uh I think that more than anything, that storyline because I don't find Tom and Claire that compelling. It's more just the Neve stuff. I find Neve as irritating a character as she is really familiar. And I, I got to get a lot of props to Nikita Lee Pritchard, who plays Neve mm-hmm. um, for, yeah, for making this irritating character, extremely irritating, but also extremely watchable and giving her enough Patheticness to make her uh, to make her sympathetic as well. Yeah, um, she's desperate for these people's attention. She's desperate to be liked. There, there is no character in the show who earns the title "Please Like Me" more than Neve. Absolutely. Um, and I, yeah, I I find that she makes the Tom and Claire stuff work is because of her. Um, yeah, anyway, I just wanted to put a little bit on that. So that's that's a good storyline. I still think the Rose stuff and the Josh and Jeffrey stuff is more interesting overall, but the Neve stuff's fun. Other storylines we've got, we've got Alan and May. So Alan, being Josh's dad, has a new girlfriend in May who yeah, is Taiwanese. 
um, and he's trying to keep this from Rose because he's worried because everything's his fault, mm-hmm. trying to keep that a secret from Rose, which builds tension between them uh, and also just the tension that builds between uh, May and Alan because he's so invested in Rose's health and well-being yeah. and what that means as being the, another woman or, sorry, his current uh, his current girlfriend or spouse um, and him being obsessed about his ex-wife. It's fine. I don't yeah, no. love that storyline. It just, I like, I like Alan. I like May. It doesn't necessarily yeah. go anywhere. It's, it's more there to give them something to do as all, to give them a reason to be in Josh's life. I yeah, think. I think so too. And that's more about them being there and being a part of that mix, I think. Exactly. Um, and the final storyline is Aunt Peg. And Aunt Peg is amazing. Is excellent. And it feeds into something I want, I want to talk about in a little bit in a, in a second. But she's really interesting. Her storyline is basically her family is Rose and Josh. And she doesn't really necessarily think all that much of them <laughs> for what they are and who they are. But she desperately, definitely loves them. Mm-hmm. Um, she cares for them. And the other side of her story is her sort of getting old and what it means yeah. to be at the end of your life. She's lost her husband, Walter, you know, several years earlier. Um, The saddest part, apart from her just eventually dying at the end of episode five, is when her losing her independence and you can see her being frustrated with the problems of becoming old when she loses her license Mm -hmm. because she's an unsafe driver now. Very, very... Peg is craggedy and has these old-fashioned views and can be a real bitch sometimes. But she is extremely likable as well. Beautiful performance, I think, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. There's some really nuanced moments, I feel, within Peggy. Yeah. Where there's moments where you're like, okay, yeah, sure, Play, you played are. Played by Judy Farr. You are, you, are, you are seeing that over-the-top, you know, Christian, older Australian. Mm-hmm. And then also there's those, those really loving moments that you see. Um, between her between and Rose. Between her and Rose, her and Josh. Yep. Um, those scenes, yeah, where her and Rose are sitting on the couch drinking, talking to John. Yeah, I love that. Beautiful. The scene. She's trying to, she doesn't understand what it means for Rose to be depressed and to have depression. She just thinks it means that she's She's sad. sad. Yeah. And she's trying to fix her with ice cream and beer. And while that's not ever going to be a real solution, it does make for a great bonding moment where they can just be silly and have fun. And that's lovely. Mm. And then also the, the moments like in the car with Josh with like steps and yep. and, and whatnot. Um, they're, they're really, really lovely moments, I think, that, there's, that, that contrast from those over-the-top, like old grandma yeah. Yeah, moments. And then, and then I think probably her linchpin moment of the whole series is episode three, I think it is, where she's been – she's frustrated and obviously she finds out that Tom's gay – Sorry, he finds out that Josh is gay and that she's obviously disapproving of that because that's sinful. But when the pastor starts talking about it in such horrible terms, Mm -hmm. she stands up and defends him. Absolutely. Um, And that he's a good person. And I think that that sequence in a lot of ways is a little bit obvious or preachy or whatever. It's a very one-sided conversation about those sort of things, even though I completely agree with that sentiment, right? It's it's a little bit on the nose in some ways, but performance is great, and I believe it. And she does it with such conviction; it's so lovely mm-hmm. that it's one of my favorite moments in the yeah, in the show. Um, and not like this; like who would have thought this show would be pro 
you know, <laughs> gay rights and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, no surprises there. It's, as I said, obvious moment, but it's a good one. That's the main storyline. That's as much detail as we can go into those, I think, now. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some more specific points about the show. We've sort of touched on these a little bit now. Just the darkness that this show is able to uh, go to in, is really great about this show because it is funny. Mm-hmm. There are, it's at the very least amusing. It's one of those shows where I'm not always laughing out loud, but I'm at least amused by what I'm watching. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. It's, it's fun. It's light in a lot of ways, which is ironic mm-hmm. because then amongst all that, it's talking about coming out for the first time or figuring out that you're gay. And then, I mean, and while that's, there's nothing inherently dark about that in society that makes you an outsider in Absolutely. some ways. Yeah. Um, and coming to terms with that and what that means when your friends find out and what that means when your parents find out and what that means for you and who you are. On top of that, you've got mental illness, you've got divorce, you've got death, death, just getting old and what that means. So many serious dark topics in there and it handles them all beautifully. Does, absolutely. Beauty is a word I, I would put towards it. And mm-hmm. it's the humor that's there only helps to highlight or make it feel more real because it doesn't make it melodramatic. These moments are not made to be dark, brooding, awful moments. People cry, people get sad, but then they're followed by, there's, there's, there's always a little bit of humor in there as well. I think that's, that feels very real. I think that's what uh, sometimes I mentioned earlier, like those conversations that I've seen that they have, I feel like I've had very similar conversations, totally. joking, joking around, that kind of thing. I think it, it feels, it makes the whole thing feel very much real uh, and relatable, I think, because I like using like humor as a defense mechanism. I'm, I am one for one of the, for, for that sure. kind of person who does that. Yep. Yeah. And it's just, it's, if, if that's something that creates a sense of reality or. Yeah. It, that's something that creates a sense of reality uh, for the show. And it feels very much, that's why, that's, that's what makes me relate to the whole show. Maybe not Josh so much. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it, it feels real and it handles it the way I feel it would be handled in real life rather than making everyone's crying constantly. Everyone is getting angry so so straight away. It's 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 people handle it in a real way. Yeah. These characters handle them in a real way. And some of these, like we see a lot of death in television, we see a lot of relationship like breakups and drama in television, but not Frequently enough do we see real depictions of mental illness or I I don't think necessarily, and again, these aren't necessarily my stories. I'm probably missing out a lot of them. But I really appreciate how homosexuality and like coming to terms with your sexuality and those sorts of things are handled in this show because I just think they are, again, we talked about this earlier, they're not the conversations between Josh and his parents and stuff aren't or his friends they're not huge dramas necessarily but it's it does tackle the anxiety around those things mm-hmm. and I get a real sense that that Josh Thomas has done a very good job of translating the feeling of what it must have been like to realize he was gay and and come out to his friends and family I really feel like this is a great translation of that onto the screen that I I Come away understanding it a lot better and the anxieties around it. Absolutely agree. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mental illness is one of those ones that's going to come back in future seasons. I can't wait to talk about it more because mm-hmm. I, I love the depictions of it in here, the moments where um, Rose is crying in the elevator or, um, you know, it was one of her lowest moments at the end of the season where she's on the floor in the kitchen after she's mm-hmm. pulled out of a attempted suicide and all these sorts of things. It's going to go to some really awesome places of that later. So we might leave that conversation for now. But, Good idea. But I did want to point out just that awesome balance between not just being funny but being real and dark as well. And just that these... Just the types of stories we've got here. A, how the people and places are very recognizable um, and relatable. And you talked about a little bit about this before. One of the things you said earlier that I wanted to bring up was we keep, and I'm guilty of this too, is making a point of the fact that this is Australian. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I worry that Australian content gets branded as Australian content as though we say, oh, that was great Australian television or that was a great Australian movie, right? Yeah. As though it's a subcategory that because it's a good Australian television doesn't necessarily mean it's a great television generally, that it, but it's good Australian television. It's the best thing that's coming out, out of, for an Australian television show. This is great. I think in a sea of crap. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I just sometimes I won't worry that we undersell what what so yeah we should is be coming saying, out of Australia. Yeah. We should be saying this is great television, generally. Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And I don't mean that as a slight. I think that's a, unfortunately a habit we've gotten into. It's also a, it's a nationalist thing. It's a patriotic thing. We want to celebrate it because it is Australian because it is something that comes out of our country. Though I find myself, I find myself embracing that whole being proud of things just because they're Australian less and less. I think I'm becoming more of a globalist as a person. Um, I just appreciate anything that's good. I think, I think I'm guilty of the, the opposite as well and saying, oh, that's great British television. Like that's a great British show. I, I, a- I tend to find I, when I say things about British television, it's more that the British are the best at comedy or yeah. British procedural dramas are the best, as in they're better than anything else. I very rarely say Australian tele- oh. Australians are the best at this. We say this is good Austra- for yeah, no, Australian okay. television. Do you know, I like? Does that make sense to know that as well? Makes complete sense to me what you're saying. Yeah, and I agree. And I th- and I don't know what that is. I think I think you're right. To some sense, we see the worst of Australian television as well. Oh, I'm sure there's shit British television out there too. I mean, I know there is well, but EastEnders and that kind of stuff like that it, you wouldn't see. It doesn't make it to me. Because it's so far away. Mm. There are more stations and shows in in the UK that we'll never see. We only see the good stuff. We only see the Broadchurches and the Sherlock's, Sherlock's and stuff like that, you know what I mean? And the Doctor Who's. So, and the IT Luther's. crowds and the black 
uh, Black Adder or Black Books and whatever it might be. It goes on and on and on and Space, on. Right? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we only see the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think it's easy for us to go, oh, they're amazing at this, they're amazing at that, and look at Australian television and go, oh, yeah, there's a lot of crap and only some good stuff. Um, yeah, I've lost my point there a little bit, but I did want to talk about what it means for this to be relatable. Just the fact that it's set in Melbourne, you brought this up earlier and that, you know, you see these people around. You've seen a character, a guy who plays a character in, in, a, in the next season is coming to work a couple of times, I believe, as well. I Okay, so this, this season specifically. Yeah. Right? The scene with where Alan's car gets egged yeah. was shot outside the building I was living at at the time. Yeah. There's... There's scenes where, where Alan's drunk around there. There's a cafe scene in the third episode. That's literally That's on the That's literally corner. the cafe I went to every single day. In the episode where they go out dressed in costumes, yeah. one of the girls that comes up is a friend of mine. Right. Right. It's There's so much of my life just behind the scenes of this show that it, it was a little bit... I, it was hard for me to not... It was hard for me to step back from that and go, watch the show as what it is because I'm watching it as... Oh, that's my mate. That's my house. That's this. Which I think other people from the different countries and different cities even would have a better, obviously have a better understanding. Well, I wonder, does that, are we given a little bit of a shortcut here into the show because we recognize like, oh, that's in Northcote or that's in Docklands or whatever it might be, right? Like these are places that are familiar to us the way these people talk and all those things mm-hmm. feel like our lives. Does this translate as well for an international audience, I wonder? From what I understand, please like me from the people who have seen it, like in the United States, quite like the show. It's really well pla- praised yeah. internationally. So there must be something that's familiar. But boy, oh boy, does it feel familiar to me. So familiar. Like I watched something like Rake, which is set in Sydney. Right. And... I can watch that for its, for what it is. Sure. Right? And which is also another great Australian television. Um, I haven't watched that yet, actually. You should put that on the list. Um, it's on the list, actually. It's incredible. Um, and, and that's one of those shows where well, I don't really know Sydney very well, so I'm watching that as just any audience member. Whereas in Melbourne, where it's set in Melbourne, you're right, all these things, like the first episode, the first scene is in Madame... Madame Brussels? Madame, Madame Brussels. Yeah. Madame Brussels, yeah. Madame Brussels, which is the bar that I've been to plenty of times. It's like, oh, that's Madame Brussels. From the moment, from the first first second, I'm just like, <laughs> all right, well, this show's set in Melbourne. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no, it, it might give us that. Does that, do you think where, because you make it sound like you think like you're missing out on something. I don't think I'm missing out on it. I just think that it might hinder me from being able to immerse myself in the show as this other you know, this is other, almost other because when you when I watch television, when I, what a lot of people talk about when they watch television is to immerse themselves in a different reality. Yeah, immerse sure. themselves, get away from the world. It's like it's escapism. Escapism is a part of sure. television and film. There's also it's everything storytelling and being sure. related and and you know, I, I, yeah, I find that a really interesting argument that it should always be escapism. So often, I do you watch do you watch like uh, Requiem for a Dream for escapism? Fuck no. <laughs> Like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> you take the drugs that they're taking for <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, like it's it's it, it might. It, I think it's it hinders me a little bit by going because um, I'm thinking about that. I'm like, I see something like, oh, that's my that's my house. I might miss something, or I might 
be taken out of the story mm. because of that. But that's very specific to me because I have a friend who did who worked in the fourth season. Yeah, I've got a friend who worked in this. Who was in this in the episode? Just I, disclaimer: like, like we we know people who've been in and around the show because we're involved a little bit with the film and television scene, very tra- tangent, tangentially in Melbourne. But we we have no inve- we no, have no, no involvement in the, the show. show. Like I, when I heard that my friend was working on season four, I got so excited because I love this show so much. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Like, and then and it was a surprise to me to see my friend in the show yeah. when I first watched it. Yeah. Um, sort of make that clear. I don't want to think that we're doing an ad for like mates of in, ours in no case at all. In no way. I don't know Josh Thomas. <laughs> I've met him once. And oh, did you? I mean, I met him at a comedy show. Exactly. I yeah, his, exactly. I went and saw I his comedy show. I signed my DVD because that's the thing. I'm a fan, not, yeah, a, not exactly. a friend, I think is the important thing here. Absolutely. Well, what does that make? How do you think, does this maybe give us an insight into people maybe from overseas? How many shows are set in New York? Yeah, absolutely. Do you know? Like that must be... I've been in New York. I've been to that place, that bakery that was in Sex in the City and stuff like that. And if you're a local, that must... Or like Louis, right? Watching Louis and he goes to all these real comedy mm-hmm. um, places and stuff like that. If you're a comedian in New York, that show must be have give you the same feeling that watching Please Like Me does for us. I think, sure. Um, but I feel like New York has been done to death. Well, but but that's... It as well. There are how many shows cater to people by be by kind of being New York porn in sure, a way. Sure, I don't think that makes the shows any less. I think it just means those people get a little more out of it, and maybe that's what we're getting here. Maybe that slightly, is slightly a slightly different connection to it. Does that make us engage with the show differently? Slightly, but I think if it was a bad show. We'd still think it was a bad show. Good, good uh, point of reference. Actually, have you seen any questions for Ben? No. So Any Questions for Ben is a movie that came out, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, something like that. Um, it's made. It's an Australian film made by a group called Working Dog who are very famous for their Australian TV and movie content. One of the best, stra- one of the best Australian movies, saying the exact <laughs> phrase I was worried about before, ever made in my opinion is one called The Castle, which is made by the Working Dog guys. Anyway, they made this show, this movie, Any Questions for Ben, which is about the life of this guy, Ben, who's trying to find love, whatever. It's set in Melbourne. Not only is it set in Melbourne, it revels in the fact that it's in Melbourne. <laughs> it takes, it has a scene in every major Melbourne event and location you could think of. It has a scene that's about the Melbourne Cup. It has a scene about the AFL Grand Final. It has a scene at the Australian Open. It has scenes on the waterfront. It has scenes at the, I think, at the National Gallery. It has scenes literally at Captain Cook's Cottage. It has scenes everywhere, Grand Prix maybe even, everything. It's like it's a tourism ad. And because of it, I hate it. Mm. It's not familiar. I don't okay, I don't hate it, but I dislike that the movie is trying to be this like Melbourne porn because yeah. it's so overdone. And then the movie's just not that great. But I got really irritated by how much it was trying to cram Melbourne down my throat. As have- someone who loves Melbourne, it really gave me the shits. I bet you they got a lot of funding. I guarantee you that. Film Victoria and Tourism Victoria are massive funding partners in that Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. Yeah, that says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. So which I don't. Might, yeah. It doesn't make it, it, it can enhance it, but can also take it away, which I think is really interesting. Inter, it, this is a show of intergenerational stories, too. It mm. could easily be a show that's just about a bunch of young people that we recognize as well. But I think it's really awesome that we see people in different stages of their lives. We have Josh and Tom and Claire who are all 
becoming adults and what that means, getting into adult relationships, coming to terms with who they are as people, having to take care of the people who used to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you've got um, Rose or, or Alan, who's in his second, so he's after, after his marriage with Rose and what that means to be after marriage, after a long-term relationship with somebody. You've got Rose, who's dealing with um, being mentally unwell as she gets older in life and has become is now more alone than she's ever been since divorcing from Alan. And then you've got Peggy, who is like coming to the end of her life and coming to grips with that as well. So you've got stories of people who are just coming into their adulthood and other people who are right in the middle of the thick of it and what it means to be a self person who's a self-sustaining person, and then people who are at the end of their adulthood who are clocking out. That's really cool to have that all in one show. Yeah. And say there's something for everybody. There literally is. Well, it's something about everybody. I I don't know because I'm only, you know, I'm still in my 20s just what this feels like to somebody. Like I haven't, I don't know if I'm going to watch this show or what they think about Please Like Me. We've definitely told them to, haven't we? We've told everybody to watch the show. Exactly. So I don't know what they really think of the show from that perspective. But for me, at least, I really appreciate that it's, that it could have been very easy for Josh Josh Thomas to make the show about things that he knows explicitly from his own experience as a young person, Mm -hmm. but to make sure there is room, not just room, but real emphasis placed on people from older generations as well, I think is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And for them to not, while they might not always feel like the center of the story, it's still going to be around our main trio of sort of 20 somethings. I don't feel like those other things are superfluous. They are important to the show. Um, And that's really cool. I still think Peggy's storyline, this is, Incredible that's in this show. That a great agree. aunt, mm. you know, not even the grandmother or something like that. That, And that was something I wanted to talk about. Well, it's like this story of outsiders. You've got, you've got people who are homosexual. You've got your loser nerds. You've got your D4Cs. You've got your elderly woman without her own children. But they sort of all find family and friendship with each other. Absolutely. And there's something endearing about that as well, which I really love. The only problem I have, I guess, I think the thing that this show is lacking a little bit is uh, a bit of diversity ethnicity-wise. We've got May, which is cool, but there's a lot of white people on this show, Yeah, which I think is a bit of a problem in Australian television in general. Um, which is why I say it's a miracle this show got made because to get funded in Australia... Oh, you mean it was a miracle they got May in it and they made <laughs> the verb, verb, ha, 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 ha. You think, oh, no, a lot, of, a lot of funding that gets given is, uh, in Australia has to do with like Australian history or... Um, so like a period drama period or dramas, something yeah. that's like going to be a biopic. They're looking for mass wide appeal. Exactly. Sure. As opposed to something that is very much just a show about Australian life, just just general. Mm, I know? see. I disagree with you on that. I think it's the thing is if this was about Australian, like if these all these characters were Asian Australian or- Definitely would have been made. Would it, it would be made. These are all white people. Yeah, true. So I think that helps a lot that, that it's, that's more likely to be made, I think, unfortunately. Um, 
You're right. You think about like Pack of the Rafters, Offspring. They are all white. All these people are always white. Unless you've got, uh, what's the actress's name? Deborah Mailman. Deborah Mailman in it. Who is in a later season of this. Deborah Mailman, or you might have, uh, what's the singer's name? Um, Jessica Malboy. Jessica Malboy. Deborah Mailman, Jessica Malboy. They're your two token Aboriginal women that make it into shows. Um, that's. And there's there's another one actually as well. The other one from the Sapphires who's now in stuff too. But they all have those like token <laughs> Aboriginal three. characters. And it's those three. It's those three women. Um, great movie, by, by the way, Sapphires. I think that's not a bad movie. People should check that one out. Um, but you're left with a lot of white representation and not a whole lot of other stuff still, unfortunately. Whereas I find that that stuff, even though it still feels like tokenism sometimes is starting to improve, in the United States, it's not happening here very fast. That that being said, we have things like the Family Lee and stuff like that being made, and like there are there are television shows that are telling slightly different stories here and there. But yeah, I kind of wish this show had a little bit more ethnic diversity. Have you watched Glitch? No, there's 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 promising aspects in that show from the beginning. Okay, that's good. Uh, of characters and storylines, yeah, which is really good. But I'm not going to give away. Anything. Okay, cool. Um, which is not the, not the great Australian show. Great Australian show. There you go. <laughs> Do you want to add to any of those things I just came up with there? No, no. I think they, I think you hit the nail on the head. I feel like I've been ranting a little bit. Do you have some points there, Liam? Uh, we've actually spoken about basically everything. So what have we said? Uh, Melbourne. Yep. Relatable, Josh. No. Um, <laughs> Australian feeling. Yeah. Uh, Everyone's an asshole. Talk about the Australian. Maybe the Australian feeling is is an interesting term as well. We talked about sort of like we talk about Australian TV shows as being like we we separate them from just TV in general or movies in general. But the Australian feeling. What's what's uniquely Australian to you about apart from this being set in Melbourne? Like its setting. Yes. What else makes it feel Australian to you? I think maybe the family dynamics. Mate, um, feel very Australian too. Yeah, I mean, f- the family dynamics in this show feel very different to something like American that I, I can think of, like maybe like Modern Family, which is the different shows, but like very different sort of show. Very different, I can't really think of another show that's sort of like this. Sure, uh, but it feel it felt very like that. I know th- that family. Yep. Yeah, I know that family. Um, I know. The relationship that that person has with their dad or their, their mum and dad have have to each other. Yeah, is that Australian or is that just it's more familiar to your? Is that more Liam? Well, I'm Australia. Yeah, but you're also a man. You're also white. You're also twenty something. You're also all these things. Sure, there's so many other things that define who you are. But like this is it reminds me similar to you were talking about the castle. Yes, right. Does when, this remind you of the castle? Because the castle to me, it's very easy to make the argument why that feels like an Australian movie. It. Revels in its ockerness and Australianness. Another example it makes jokes about "Hey, hey, it's Saturday," which is a joke that only mm-hmm. Australians can possibly understand. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, then also something like Cracker Jack. Sure, yeah, right. That gets the Australia you, for me again. The, I, I think again, a big part of that is that that's a Christmas movie that's set in nope. an Australian summer. Oh, sorry, Cracker no, Jack. Cracker sorry, Jack cra- in- I was thinking of Crackers. Cracker Jack, sure, again, but you're talking, I think something about that that makes it feel very Australian is that set about lawn bowls, which is kind of, I don't know if it's, I don't think it is uniquely Australian, but no. there are lawn bowls clubs. There's one down the road. Like, I've been to that lawn bowls club and done barefoot bowls there. It's recognizable enough in Australian culture to make yeah. that Australian. 
there are there. I think there are things you can pinpoint in there, like the beer on tap in the bowls club, like in the bar at the bowls club, and those sorts of things. Yeah, stand out as being Australian. Drinking long necks, uh, Peggy and and Rose are drinking go. long okay, necks. Okay, cool. Yeah, right. That is very much an Australian. The language can be a part language. of it. It's funny because the food as well, like the, that seventies themed party they were having, yeah. felt. I, I feel like I've seen those, those seven, those in like Australian cookbooks. Sure, like the pineapple with the cheese and stuff stuck into it. It's just like yeah, yeah that that sort of the even the house that they live in. The house, the house. I mean, you the the setting in terms of because it is set in Melbourne feels very similar in mm. terms of these one story sort of um, suburban houses. Apart from where Alan and May live, but yes, they feel very suburban. Melbourne, absolutely, they don't feel like an American home. They don't feel like those two stories with an attic and a basement, which we see so often in American yeah. um, family dramas and stuff like that. A hundred percent agree with that. The language. I sort of wanted to go into more detail. It's funny because I think Josh and Claire in particular can come across, they've got that very Melbourne hipster type of like, they're not, there's not a huge Australian slang going on there. They're very, what's the word I'm looking for? Not proper, but they're sort of, there's more, they've got a more formal sort of uh, accent going on there. Claire sometimes feels like she's British. Same, way. same with Josh. I, and I Josh was too. watching this with my housemates. Yeah. And the, what we were talking about last night was one of the things that puts them off about Josh is they just can't get past his accent. He, he, like Josh he is a very particular way of in speaking. In and out of, it feels like he's going in and out of being British right, and Australian, yeah. which is, but which is how I'm he I'm guilty talks. of that. I've had people ask me if I'm what? British. Yes, 100%. Really? Yes. Okay. I've had Australians ask me if I'm British. Because sometimes the way I talk become either I think it's the words I use or the way my um, enunciation or whatever it might be, people think they don't. Because I've almost got these phases I can put. I've got like versions of myself with certain friends, particularly some of my mates from uni. I can get really bogany yeah, or, or bro-ish even. Yeah, yeah, I know that exactly what you're talking about. I have the same same thing. And with other people, I'm much more... Yeah, it's more proper enunciated or yeah, it's properly, le- properly or <laughs> or less. You lost me there, or a, a less ochreish anyway. And I've got these sorts of versions of myself that I don't consciously put on, but they're just there to make because that's the social setting changes the way that I talk. Um, and I've had people ask me if I'm from the UK. People who probably are less enlightened on what an actual British person sounds like, but they don't. I, they don't sound. I don't sound Australian to them all the time. Right, okay. Um, so, but beyond, but beyond that, there is stuff in there. Where like when there's a scene, I think somewhere in season episode five or something like that, where Rose says something about mate to Alan or something like that, or like the use of the term mate, or there are just words in there mm-hmm. that oh, there was lovey, one, lovey, yeah. Uh, there was another one. Towards the end, Alan says something. They use a word that I'm like, that's so Australian. It's like there, there is an a American or a British version of this word, but this is the Australian version of this word. And I wonder if people can keep up with it. Or they talk about footy. They talk about like AFL or um, NRL. NRL or whatever it might who be as well. For? Yeah, who do you barrack for? Ah, oh, go the Money Bombers and stuff like that. Like those things are very Australian. But I don't think it hits you over the head with it. No. I don't... Th- I think... 
while we look at it and go, Melbourne is the setting is particularly mm-hmm. familiar. I don't think there's enough there. I hope there's enough there that would alienate people and go, oh, I don't recognise these people at all, or none of this is familiar to me. I think I think the, I think what I'm trying to say is the Australianism of it is there, but it's not it's not like the castle or the dish or any questions for Ben and stuff like that, which go out of their way to go. Or Cracker Jack to knock you over the head and go, we are Australian. This is an Australian. It has to be everything in this has to be Australian. There was another show like that or a movie I saw recently, which I was really impressed because I was like, oh, this could have been set anywhere. It didn't matter where it was. Lion. Lion. Yes. Lion was a great example. Also set in Melbourne. Also set in Melbourne. <laughs> but it didn't have to be set in Melbourne. While while everyone, like, you know, Nicole Kidman got her Australian accent out and David Wenham and... And especially Dev Patel got a fantastic Australian accent for that movie. He didn't nailed that. It was set in Australia because that's where the true story was, but it didn't matter. You know what though? The fact that it was set in Australia made pulled me out of the story a little bit. Just with that, because there's one point they're in Tasmania and suddenly they're having a conversation in Melbourne, recognizably like down the road, down from the where road I from live. where we are, and then and then suddenly he's back in Tasmania again. Like, like no one else in the world would understand. Only, would only that. we're going to recognize that. that. We did. <laughs> like that's Huddle Street. <laughs> Anything else that you want to talk about? Um, Anything virtues or well, one of the things of the show? No problems. Yeah, go on. One, one of the things I um I wanted to bring up was just like the use of food. Oh like, yeah, there's very much an overarching theme. Well, all food. the episode titles that are, have names of food, the or food that they eat in the episode, they're always something they eat in the episode. Yeah. yeah, I just want yeah, interesting what what your thoughts were. It, yeah, it's I it's funny. I find it cute, but I don't necessarily think it always says that much yeah. about the show. So there'll be titles that will be about the food they're eating, but I don't. I've I've hard to find a connection sometimes between those things. And like the theme of that episode or anything like that. I don't think it's meant to. I think it's more about Josh showing that he knows a lot about food. Is, honestly, is that what it is? Because he was on he Master just Chef. He was on he Celebrity was. Master Chef. Chef, another, another prime time television show, um, a reality show. Uh, and he, I don't think he made it very far. Um, he? He's very much proud of his food. And I mean, as I can see in the show, if he's making that food, uh, he seems to be pretty good at it. Um, yeah. And one thing he talks about on social media a lot is his food and cooking. Yeah. So that's clearly something personal for him that he wanted to put in the show. He uh, he does a thing where he bakes a cake uh, for his uh, comedy shows. He was doing a couple of years back. I went and saw him do stand-up. Oh, right. yeah. And he had an auction at the end for the cake. Yeah, yeah. Um, and things like that. Yeah. He The show starts with someone making it Sunday. And ev- virtually every single title sequence, in this, at least in this season, is around based around him either shopping or cooking or something like that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of food in this show. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's just a quirk of the show. I don't yeah. think it stands out as being thematically meaning much. No. Uh, at least I've... I would be interested... To, I'd be interested to ask Josh, actually. I wonder if... I might try and get in contact with him on Twitter or something like that and, and what his views are on the cooking and what it means to be part of the show, whether it's just something he wanted in there because he's enthusiastic about it. I, I've never found it particularly enriches the experience, though. Agreed. At least on a uh, dramatic level. Anything else? Not that I can think of. All right. One little side note I wanted to put out before we start wrapping this episode up. Damask doesn't like this show. Ooh. I'm really hoping that we can get her on because she's seen nearly through the end of season three, but she hasn't seen season four. 
I'm wondering whether we can get her to see season four and do our season four episode with her on. Yeah. Because I would love to get her opinion on this on the podcast. It'd be less gushing. There will be a lot less gushing. And I think that will make for an interesting episode. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's funny, like the there's, an, there's a part of me which is a little reductive that goes for a show that's about like coming to terms with your with or or about homosexuality and and what it means to uh yeah and 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 that experience i would almost assume that damask would connect with this show which is a dumb assumption obviously so it surprised me a little bit when she didn't like it um but yeah she's not a massive fan of the show she doesn't like the people she really doesn't like caitlin stacy in the show um or Sorry, I take that back. It might be when Caitlin Stacey is not in the show that she finds it more frustrating. Um, I think she likes it more when, when Caitlin Stacey is in the show. And uh-huh. I know at different times she sort of, this is spoils going forward, she sort of phases in and out of the show. She'll disappear for like half a season and come back for another few episodes and stuff like that. Um, but I just find that, I yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm yet to fully understand why Damas doesn't like it. But I just wanted to let people know that this is not universally... Pl- well... It's widely praised, but apparently not everyone likes it. Yeah. Um, so we'll try and get that opinion on the podcast at some stage. That's really interesting. So, do, so if you, if you go watch the show after this and you don't like it, just know you do have company. <laughs> yeah, there's another friend of mine who's recently only come out in the last couple of years mm-hmm. who loves this show. He, do, he does like he it. He does love it. He loves uh, it. Other gay friends of mine like it. Yeah. People who have found it recently, um, in yeah. particular, actually. Um, seemed to really, really, really like it. Because um, what my worry was when I found out Damas didn't like it, as my closest gay friend, was maybe this is maybe this is not great television for someone who actually is homosexual. Maybe this is maybe this is made for me. Maybe I like it as yeah. the outsider. Maybe this is some gross, like oh, I know gay people, <laughs> but I'm but I'm a straight white male. Some of my favorite TV shows again. Living in the Western world, like. Oh, I just get to enjoy spending time with these people who, you know, are more of an outsider or more of minority than me. And that felt kind of gross to me. So I'm happy to hear that, <laughs> that Damask is sort of a, a outsider or an outlier in that She's statistic. She's almost these characters in the real world. Well, how, how do you, uh, they're the outsiders. Yeah. That's a bad joke. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's start wrapping things up then. Favorite and least favorite episode, starting with your favorite episode, Liam. My favorite episode is episode five. Episode five. Do you remember what that one's called? Uh, no. I'm trying to think what it is based on the food. I'll find that out while you talk about why you liked episode five. What happens in that episode? Episode five is almost that culminating episode where everything comes to to a head. Right. Yeah. This is where Peggy dies. Do you get the confrontation between Rose and? Rose and Allen. Spanish uh, eggs, it's called. Why? He makes Spanish eggs at some stage in the, in the show. Probably, I think it's probably start. in the opening titles. I think it's in the opening titles, yeah. Um, you, you, get, yeah you get the combination of the, the, the arguments and stuff between Allen and Rose. Mm-hmm. You get um, the, the sort of the demise of the relationship between Josh and Jeffrey. And you also get the... With Neve, the end of Neve and True. Tom's yeah. relationship, it all sort of comes to a head here. Yeah, um, I think everything, majority of that, that is handled very well. And Peggy dies. And Peggy dies. Yeah, as well. At the end of the episode. 
Though you're right, there is a lot of happening. There's, there's a lot going on, and then Peggy's way. death is very much is, isn't really alluded to until it happens. Mm-hmm. And it's just like there's so much going on, and then that all means nothing when it comes down to the fact the fact that someone that they all love has passed away. Well articulated. Thank you. My favorite episode is episode three, Portuguese Custard Tarts. This is the episode where we're talking about earlier with Peggy in particular. Peggy wants Josh to go to church. Josh and Jeffrey have to go and help Alan get his car. Out in front of my house. Out in front of Liam's house because he's too drunk to drive it home. And in on that little adventure, Jeff... Uh, Jeffrey tells Alan that Josh is gay. Jeffrey so outs gay. Jeffrey outs, outs Josh. And yep. I, there's that, I love that scene because what happens is it happens when they're going through a car wash. And so there's just these three people in a car and no one can escape. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, I'm glad that they don't have the moment where Josh gets angry at Jeffrey for telling Alan. Yeah. Um, it's just they have to deal with it and seeing... Alan drunkenly sort of processes this information and his little statements about how I'm a good dad. Other dads would have punched you for this and all this sort of thing. Just him trying to like, you know, not he, he is accepting, but his little bit of pride that he actually is okay with his son being gay yeah. and stuff like this, I think is very funny. Um, uh, Tom breaks up with Neve in that episode. Claire and Tom start making getting together, which is fine, neither here nor there. Um, Peg stands up for Josh at church as well. I really like that scene. And I just think that's the scene. Literally, literally at the end of this episode, everybody of importance knows that Josh is gay and it's cool to get to that moment. Like Rose finds out during that church sequence and goes, I've known since you were like, I've known forever. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. And All just, the school musicals. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the tights or whatever. <laughs> I just love the reaction that everyone has to meeting Jeffrey for the first time as well. He's, just, he's so pretty. He's so pretty. He's so handsome. And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I, I really enjoyed the episode. Um, just, I think it's very entertaining all the way throughout and has a lot of cool moments in it. Least favorite episode. I mean, I like all the episodes. Yeah, probably. I like them all too. It's it's about finding the one you like the least. What happens in episode four? Episode four is my least favorite one, as I put it. It's all, called All You Can Eat. Josh breaks up with Jeffrey yeah. and he, the, him and Tom and Claire go out and Josh tries to pick up, and then oh, there's that sad moment where he like good moments, yeah. There's some good moments in there where he's sort of left on his own. He goes back to Jeffrey. I guess as much as that's realistic, and I'm glad we have that like toing and froing happening there, where Josh is like lo- like doesn't want Jeffrey around because he's got his confidence up now, but then he realizes that he's lonely and goes back to Jeffrey. He's very real. I find that real. It's also kind of just like stalling for time. Um, and before you get to episode five, which is much more interesting. Exactly. Uh, Alan and May's relationship is under pressure. And as I've said, that's one of the least interesting storylines mm-hmm. overall in the season. Um, there's the ongoing little bit between Tom and Claire. But again, it's sort of like stalling the point mm-hmm. about that they're eventually going to get together and Tom's going to choose Claire over um, Nate. And I, like, I think this episode's necessary and good. It's just that it's the least engaging because there's a lot of like just hammering some old points home. Um, and then Peg loses her license, which is, I think that's the highlight of the story Absolutely. for me Agreed. because I find that that's really interesting thing to show in a, in a, in a story like this is an old person who is losing her independence mm-hmm. and what that means. I also love that moment with her and Josh at the end of the episode where she's in the car. Listening to steps, listening to steps drinking. And, oh yeah. And then she jumps out and they're, she's walking her into the, yeah. 
Yeah. Again, it's just another great moment between Plenty those of two. sweet moments yeah. in there. It's just the one that has the least momentum in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, there's nothing wrong with it. Oh, it also has the horrendous rain scene where mm. it, it's looks, like the it li- literally looks like someone is spraying a hose on them. <laughs> Like, exactly. the, like Tom walks, walks away, away into and dryness. it's like into dryness, <laughs> and it's just Caitlin Stacy is left there being rained on, <laughs> rained on inverted commas. They obviously didn't have the budget to do that scene, um, and that's a shame. And you can normally rely on Melbourne to rain when you don't want it to. Like so I believed a lot of the rain that was in this show, well, directly before and after that scene, knowing Melbourne, um, <laughs> they, yeah, they shot it. <laughs> like, ah, yeah. oh, damn it. Um, but even when they're in, like when it's a close up, mainly on Claire, it like half of the rain's like diagonal. It's just like this doesn't look convincing at all. Oh, no. There's that's that's listen. We we have to make we stuff on the cheap. We really, <laughs> I'm being pretty mean on that one. It, it's it's fine scene. It's just uh, yeah, you can see it's a little bit clunky there. Again, show we did exactly feet. that when we were made our show. Totally, totally. We literally just put a hose off the roof. <laughs> um, final score out of five stars. Out of five stars, I think I want to give this four. Four. I will also give it four. Mm-hmm. Reasonings behind four. I think it's it's. Great, great show. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's perfect. There are some things that very I have. It's finding its feet. Yeah. It's finding its rhythm. It's finding for, its for voice. For first season, it's amazing. Yeah. I think. Um, but yeah, and yeah. It's it's it has has for it could get could get better. I know it gets better. It's uh, that's an interesting statement. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I suppose it does get better. I, it's funny the whole show to me because there's so few episodes. I have a hard time separating the seasons a little bit. Yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about them individually. There's some new characters and stuff that I'm interested in talking about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's cool stuff in season two and season three. I haven't watched as recently as you have, but my girlfriend was watching it recently. So I sort of came in and out of a few episodes, mm-hmm. like watched one here and there. And it's 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 got a consistent tone. It Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there, but... Um, I think season one is, is really, really, really good. Not perfect, definitely not perfect, but pretty excellent television. I'm really glad it exists. It inspires me to make... I want to make television like this. It's like I remember us watching it for the first time and going, oh, no, we can do something. Well, I kind of went, oh, man, this is amazing. I'll never... I, I don't know if I... I hope I can do this because this is setting a high bar. <laughs> Yeah. Makes makes what I'm making. I mean, everyone feels says, feels that about their own stuff. I think, but. I think for an Australian TV show, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, let's start wrapping up. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so on Facebook at Hunting Seasons. You can catch us on Twitter at Hunting's Cast or Hunting S Cast. You can email us at Hunting Seasons Podcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at B Gordes, B G O R D E S. Liam, you can find me on Twitter at Liam Gordes. Yes, not L Gordes, which you said in the. Uh, usually what it is. Bad. Well, that's something completely different because I went looking for them. That's someone else completely. I'm, really? Yeah, there's a, there is an El Gordas and it's not you. Well, they've got some followers, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, no, and yeah, liamgordas.com. Where else can people find your work, Liam? Uh, you can find my photography on liamgordas.com. You can also find uh, my videography, uh, nothalfbad.net or on our Facebook page, which is Not Half Bad Productions. Should we plug one more time, trying my best as well? Uh, try your best. Trying, try your best to, to, to plug it. You can find them either at birthdayloyaltyclub.com 
com yep. or on YouTube by searching for Birthday Loyalty Club slash trying my best. Don't put the slash in, just those two things. And you'll be able to find the show there. I highly recommend watching it. Weird, eccentric, like play school on psychedelic drugs and with not safe for work content. Um, play school for people who aren't Australian, like a kid's television show, basically. Sesame Street. Sesame Street type thing. It's really, really out there and great. You should check that out for sure. Uh, also want to thank Sean Kirkpatrick for designing our wonderful logo and graphics. You can find his work at seankirkpatrickdesigns.portfoliobox.net or by finding his um, drawing content on Instagram. Uh, you can search for him, Shawnee Boy Draws. He's got a bunch of cool stuff he does there daily. He does drawings with Copic markers for the most part, and it is sensational. I love his work. You can also I also like to thank Jordan Calavis for writing our and performing our theme song. You can find him on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash classic JREX. That's classic J-R-E-X. Uh, also, please, and I want to emphasize this, if you like the show, the best thing you can do to support us is to rate and review us. Uh, on wherever, Podbean or something like that's great. Subscribe to some Podbean. But iTunes specifically is great. Um, give us a rating out of five stars. Add a comment to review us if you'd like. We'd really appreciate that. That really helps to get our exposure up. And I'm going to emphasize this. If you're sitting here going, I should really do that, don't think about it. Just do it. I'm guilty of doing this too, of just going, yeah, I'll do that one day and never getting around to it. And so many podcasts struggle, even podcasts with huge followings struggle to get people to actually review them on iTunes. And it does make a huge difference. So if you're thinking about it, whip out your phone, go onto iTunes and do it for us. It would mean so much to it. Please, 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 please do that. Next week, Liam and I will be back to discuss Please Like Me Season 2. That's all we've got to tell you at the moment. We're not thinking much more further ahead than that while Damask is away. Hopefully this show, you're not, not missing Damask too much. I kind of am. And hopefully you can tell the difference between oh. our voices this time. I mean that in the nice possible way. Thank you very much for filling in for Damask while you're welcome, Broderick. she's away. Thank you, Liam. And we will see you next time. Bye for now. See ya. <laughs>